The scripture, our scripture reading for today is Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 23. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and, let the, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But once in Balat, and Tobiah, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, heard that the repairing of the walls of the root Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, Half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we're separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day, 
So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, and each kept his weapon at his right hand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for this day that you have made. And we ask once again now, in the hearing of your word, you would speak to us, you would teach us, you would encourage us, and you would challenge us. Help us to hear the word that you have for us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you might recall that at the end of chapter 2, Nehemiah told the people how the hand of God had been favorable to him and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to him. And the people responded by saying, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to the good work. The work got off to a really good start, but chapter three, which uh, we're not going to cover, it's a bit of an interruption to the story as it mostly lists people who did the work and how the work got divided among the various people and families. Uh, as you can see in this picture, many people were involved in the rebuilding of the wall. The list of names, it's not important to us because we don't know them, but they were very important to their community. It's kind of like when someone wins an award and thanks everyone who made it possible. You wanna make sure that everyone is thanked and that no one is missing. I can remember um, after graduating from seminary from the third and final time, and we were having a dinner with my family and friends, and uh, I had to make a little speech to say thank you to everyone. And as I stood up, one of my friends grabbed my arm and said to me, don't forget to thank your wife. Not that I would, but that would have been really, really bad. So we're not going to go over these individual names, um, but with the exception of a, a group of stuck-up nobles from Tekoa who thought they were you know, too good to do the physical labor, everyone else worked really hard and made their unique contribution to the rebuilding of the wall. Priests and nobles, as well as temple servants, merchants, goldsmiths, perfume makers, sons and daughters, the entire community participated. And the phrase that gets repeated throughout chapter three that I love is, and next to them, and next to them. The people stood next to one another, each taking responsibility for a section of the wall. And next to them was their neighbor working on the next section. It's a beautiful picture of a congregation working together. Norm led us in prayer, and next to him was Yuna and Addison responding on behalf of the congregation. And next to them was Sam and his family leading us in praise. And next to him was Pastor Dohi preaching the good news. And next to her was Ryan reading the word of God. Each has their unique contribution to make. The entire community is needed. Now, as you heard, as chapter four opens, it picks up where chapter two ended. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Charges of sedition 
were initially leveled against Nehemiah. And then this is followed, as you just heard, by a series of angry insults hurled by Sanballat and backed by the Sumerian army. This is ancient trash talking. What are these feeble Jews doing? And so on. Today, someone might say, is this guy for real? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, doing his best impression of a hype man, adds, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. They all try to discourage and demoralize the workers with taunts and insults, belittling their efforts, challenging their abilities, and undermining their confidence. But when Sambalat and the others see that their insults are not slowing down the work on the wall, they get even more angry and escalate their attacks with a threat of violence. All of them conspire together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. And then when that doesn't work, they escalate even further with plans of a secret and murderous attack. Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Unfortunately, all of this probably sounds too familiar to you. Nehemiah's legitimate authority as the new governor of Judah is being challenged by regional rulers and riotous mobs, first with false charges of sedition and the spreading of false information, then by angry insults, which get amplified by others with vested interests, and then by angrier threats of violence, and then by plans for secretive murderous violence. Sanballat and his allies, facing the potential loss of their power, resorted to a series of actions quickly escalating from verbal assaults to plans of violence. What's happening in our world today is nothing new. There will always be challenges to the work of rebuilding by the people of God. What we learn in today's reading is how Nehemiah responded to that. And perhaps there are two things, two consistent actions that he took that we can emulate. First, Nehemiah prayed. He prayed. We saw in chapter one that upon hearing the news of the destruction of the walls, he prayed and fasted for four months. During that time, he was able to strengthen his own resolve and to make plans for the rebuilding of the broken walls. Then in chapter two, in the middle of his conversation with the king, in that intense moment when everything hung in the balance, he shot up a quick prayer between questions. When I was in college, we used to call these arrow prayers, a quick prayer that you would shoot up to God, like right before a test that you had to take that you hadn't studied for. Lord, show me grace and help me to pass this test by your grace, not by my works. Right now, I know that many of you are just bone-crushingly weary from the extended time of quarantining. Some of you are working crazy hours, and between work and taking care of your families at home, you're totally exhausted, and you just don't have the time or the bandwidth for these kinds of long prayers. But you can still send up these short arrow prayers. When you're faced with a tough decision or a difficult person, Take a moment in the middle of the day, in the middle of that conversation, and offer up a quick prayer. Lord, help me to get through the day in this moment with grace. 
Now, as you heard in chapter four, when Nehemiah is ridiculed by his enemies, he once again prays. For Nehemiah, prayer is always the first response. It is not the last resort as it is for so many of us. And when the enemies step up their attack, Nehemiah prays again, and this time with the people. You know, sometimes you hear this kind of mockery from people, and you may think that, you know, it's not that much, but verbal abuse can take a toll. We may teach our children and tell ourselves that sticks and stones may uh, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But they do. Words can sting and discourage and plant seeds of doubt. And it can make your own heart bitter and hardened. I can remember when I was in grade school, middle school, and high school, uh, being the only Asian American kid or just about the only one in town, hearing racial insults was fairly routine. Whether on the school bus or the soccer field or the cafeteria, someone would inevitably shout out some variation of chink. You try to ignore it, but it does wear on you. And there's not much you can do, especially when you're a freshman and the seniors are picking on you. The only solution I had back then was to suck it up and wait it out until I became a senior. By then, I had enough friends who were tough enough and could and would beat up people for me. And so no one dared at that time to insult me, at least not to my face. I didn't know what else to do. I wish I knew then that I could have prayed and that I could have prayed with others like Nehemiah did. Instead of taking revenge, I wish I had prayed. When Nehemiah faced a barrage of ridicule, he didn't retaliate with similar insults. He didn't look to get a personal uh, vendetta out. He started with prayer. This is what the people of God do. Throughout the Psalms, for example, the people of God complained to God about the insults they faced. Psalm 42 is with a deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me. Psalm 69, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. Psalm 102, all the day my enemies taunt me. And so that's what Nehemiah does. He goes to God in prayer. Now I need to say a word about the content of Nehemiah's prayer. Because this is not the sort of prayer that we teach our children in Sunday school. Nehemiah's prayer is asking God to turn the taunts of his enemies back upon them and to let them experience being plundered and taken captive. He asks God to not forgive their sins. Essentially, he's asking God to punish Sanballat and his companions. I don't know about you, but I'm not entirely comfortable with this sort of prayer. Should we ask for the destruction of our enemies? Didn't Jesus say that we should turn the other cheek and pray for those who persecute us? Sadly, I suspect these days, many Christians on the opposite sides of the political aisle have been praying this sort of prayer, thinking that the other side is opposing the work of God. We need to be very careful how we apply this sort of prayer. First of all, it is a prayer that is made by a people that are oppressed and despised. It's one thing for those who are abused, 
for those who are unjustly punished, those who are threatened with violence, to ask God for help to punish their assailants. It's quite another thing for those in power to destroy others to further their own wealth and comfort. Nehemiah starts the prayer reminding God that they are a despised people and without power. It is appropriate to pray for the fall of those who are clearly oppressing the weak. We should cry out for justice for the weak. And in that desire, we can ask that those evil forces working against the shalom and the peace of God be destroyed. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are implicitly praying for the end of false kingdoms that oppose God's kingdom. C.S. Lewis, in his Reflections on the Psalms, says that we ought to have indignation over evil. In considering those whose prayers cursed others, he says this, for if we look at their railings, we find they are usually angry, not simply because these things have been done to them, but because these things are manifestly wrong, are hateful to God as well as to the victim. God is angered by injustice, and we should also desire wrongs be righted. The danger, however, is that we too easily conflate God's patient righteousness with our angry self-righteousness. God will not answer our desires for vengeance. In fact, all this hatred, all this violence, all this sin will not be answered by the destruction of our perceived enemies in response to our prayers, but rather God will turn those prayers and will respond to them with the cross. Nehemiah's prayer does not teach us to seek revenge. Rather, I think it tells us that we can go to God with whatever is on our hearts. You can complain. You can ask for vengeance. You don't have to soften all of your words. It doesn't mean that God will answer those prayers, but you can pray them. That's what you do in a good relationship. In the best relationships, you don't have to walk on eggshells, worried that a misspoken word might trigger another misunderstanding that will spiral to further separation and arguments. In the context of a loving, trusting relationship, you can speak freely. You can speak all that is on your heart. I know, for example, that I can say things around my wife and my kids that I would not say during a sermon. I know that when I'm at home, that if I misspeak or say something that's just, just plain wrong, my family will call me out on it and more often than not, just laugh at me. The relationship is not fragile and I can trust that they will absorb whatever or mostly whatever I have to say. Prayer ought to be like that too. You don't always have to carefully craft every word and thought as you come before God. Of course, there are times to uh, write out carefully written prayers when you're leading worship, for example. But most of the time, you ought to speak to God as a child to a father with ease and without fear. You can speak all that is in your heart and trust that God will absorb your words as a wise and loving father. So first, Nehemiah prayed. And then the other thing that he did was he worked. He prayed and he worked. 
I believe it was John Bunyan who said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. It starts with prayer. And quite a few people have attributed this quote, pray as if all depended on God and work as if all depended on you. Prayer and work go hand in hand. They go together. They cannot be separated. Perhaps the best way to remember this is the, uh, the it's a rhyming phrase in Latin, ora et labora, pray and work. Ora et labora. I was going to say it with an Italian accent, um, but it doesn't sound quite right. Um, this is what Nehemiah did. It might be tempting to do less, to stop work in light of all the challenges they faced, but after his prayer, Nehemiah tells us quite matter-of-factly, so we built the wall. We built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. They just kept working. Then as the threats continued, Nehemiah continued to pray, but he also continued to work. And he added these defensive measures. They were faithfully pragmatic. We prayed to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. The second half of the chapter, as you heard, is a series of threats and the defensive measures, countermeasures that Nehemiah puts in place. As the threats evolved, so did his plans. And Nehemiah himself never put on pajamas, but slept in his clothes with the sword by his side so that he would always be ready at, a, at any given moment to defend the people. Nehemiah and the people were multitasking, juggling work and home life, watching out for dangers, rebuilding the wall, refuting the lies and misinformation about what they were doing, worried for their families, working overtime, and not getting a lot of sleep. Does that sound a lot like your life right now? It was hard but they kept up the work of rebuilding for each other and for God. There are times when we have to juggle, when we have to juggle our lives and our ministry of rebuilding as best as we can under difficult circumstances like we're doing now. You cannot expect to do the ministry of rebuilding when everything has been settled and everything has returned to normal and you have all the free time in the world because that day will never come. Some days more than others, you might have to sacrifice some sleep. Prayer does not excuse us from work. It's just the opposite. As I said last week, you and I have work to do. You and I were created for good works. You and I have a ministry to fulfill. God is calling you to ministry to do the work for God's justice, to proclaim the good news, to bring healing, to feed the hungry, to seek reconciliation, to do all sorts of rebuilding and restoration and to bring new life. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You have to do something. Because I know that the temptation is to do less 
in light of all the challenges that we face. But don't give in. Pray and work. Ora et labora. As you know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It is a day that many look to as a day of service to the community. Perhaps you're involved in some work that the church can support you in. Let us know about it. Or perhaps you can start something new. You can start something new this year that perhaps will reverberate for days and months and years to come. In just a moment, we'll be hearing from Austin, who runs a ministry called Neighbor Corps, which is dedicated to helping people with the history of involvement with the Middlesex County carceral system transition back to the community. In his pre presentation, we will learn about how we as a church might support that work. I hope some of you will be moved like how Nehemiah was moved by hearing about the broken walls of Jerusalem and start praying and signing up to help lead that ministry in our church. Maybe this ministry is where God is calling you to serve. It's one possibility. And in the coming months, I hope to introduce other opportunities and to remind you of our ongoing opportunities. As Elder Norm likes to remind us, the announcements are a part of worship because we hear about the concerns of the church and these are ways that we can respond to and to do ministry. Let me close with a reminder again that this is Nehemiah's memoir. He learned to pray and work, but that's not his main point. Here's his testimony. He's able to pray and work because he knows that God is great and awesome. He reminds his people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. It's when you know that God is great and awesome that you can go to God in prayer. If God is not great, why bother praying? And knowing God is great and awesome is what also leads you to work. Knowing that your work matters and that God will help you gives you the confidence and the joy to keep at it when things get tough. Prayer and good works are not just some stuff you got to do. They're the results and the benefit of knowing a great and awesome God. That's Nehemiah's testimony. It's God's work and God's protection for his people. God will take care of God's enemies. Nehemiah testifies when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Knowing that God's power enables us and protects us, we can continue our work. Nehemiah prayed and put up the best defenses that he could, but he has a deeper trust that it's not going to be his military prowess that will prevail and protects God's people. It is God. As he reminds his people, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. He's prepared for battle, but he knows and he reminds the people that it is God, the great and awesome God, who will defend them. This is what kept the people going in the face of all the military challenges, the dangers to life and family, 
and their own discouragements. They persisted and prevailed, not because they had a great leader, not because they had more sword than their enemies, but because they trusted God and were reminded that God is a great and awesome God. In the midst of all his trials and struggles, Nehemiah remembered who God is and he reminded the people who God is. And I'm trying to do the same. God is great and awesome. Troubles will always come. There will always be those who try to discourage your work of ministry. There will always be those who will mock your work of rebuilding and restoration. There will always be those who will resort to violence. And those attacks, whether verbal or physical, might be very painful. But pray and keep at it. Keep your eyes on God. Don't focus on the rubble or the insults or the waves and the storms about you. Keep your eyes on God, the great and awesome God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the everlasting, unchanging rock. Let's pray together. Sovereign God, thank you that you can hear all our words, that we can come to you unfiltered with all our hurts, our fears, our anger, our frustrations, much of it misdirected and selfish, but that we can come freely with all that is in our hearts. Help us to remember that you are a great and awesome God. And let that vision drive our ongoing prayers and our work. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>